Hello, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion. We are recording today from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. And we're so glad you could join us this morning for our subject on unreality. And we'll start with our morning prayer. I'm reading from pages 63 and 10 of Divinity Course and General Collectania. Prayer for oneself. I thank thee, Father, Mother, God, that neither ignorant, fraudulent, nor malicious mortal mind can reach me or affect me mentally, physically, financially, or otherwise, and I know it, for God is the only power. That I am not the victim of aggressive mental suggestion, nor the target of malicious animal magnetism, claiming to operate through any channel whatever. But I am the blessed child, legal child of God, spiritual, immortal, all harmonious, perfect, happy, healthy, pure, sinless, free, and fearless and diseaseless and deathless, expressing the substance of all good. Hold yourself constantly and consciously under God's eternal law of blessing, of happiness, harmony, health, peace, joy, power, progress, protection, abundance. There is no other law, only a contrary mortal mind, lie, which you are awake and alert to, and not under. And for a Christian scientist, she gives a prayer, a Christian scientist prayer. There is no matter and no mortal mind. God is all in all. All is harmony, health, holiness. This is the prayer unceasing to be used on all occasions and at all times. It lays the ax at the root of unreality materiality, that forbidden tree, and cuts it down. Preserve it sacred. Silence on this subject of prayer. Humility is the door. Honesty is the way. And spirituality is the summit. Mary Baker Eddy. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Karen. <clears throat> the watching point. Watch number 306. Watch that in your conception of ideas as coming forth from God, you include the realization that they also return to their source. God's ideas go forth from his fatherhood and return to his motherhood. Only as children run home to their mother for comfort and love. It is helpful to consider that the conceptions which appear to us as matter are ideas of God on their way back to him, have become stranded and need help. It is our task to translate them back into thoughts and in so doing, to help them to return to mind. Then they will no longer appear to be material, finite, or limited. The prodigal was an idea of God that went forth on a journey. He became stranded in Egypt, or effect, and had to be forcibly awakened to the need of returning to cause, or the Father's house. This awakening came through the reduction of Egypt to husks. The holding power of Egypt, or matter, was broken when it became evident that its desirability was but the glamour of mesmerism spread over a dream that was worthless and had no objective existence. A statement attributed to Ezra Pound and written in 1910 is pertinent. Quote, Tell me not to mourn in mournful wishwash. Life's a sort of sugar dishwash. <laughs> Jesus stated that the greater works would come as the result of a return to the Father. An elastic, when stretched, returns to its original shape. 
when you let go of it. Material objects may be defined as ideas of God that came forth from him and lost their way, as it were, and needed need our help. In their journey back to him, they became static. The material sense of things is merely the stagnation that has overtaken God's ideas on their journey home. It is when through suffering and disillusionment, mortals tire of Egypt and its tinsel pleasures, that they are ready to resume the journey home. The denial of the reality of matter enables us to resume our spiritual progress home in the orbit that takes us and all creation back to God. Thank you. Okay, comments on that? Well, I looked up the word uh, stagnation because uh, I thought it was interesting that he said it material sense of things is merely stagnation. And then it, that's lack of flow, movement, and development. But it just struck me because we're always told here not to get in ruts and to, it is to keep moving. You keep hearing, keep moving. And I can see where, I don't know, somehow that just <laughs> made sense to me that why we have to keep moving because you don't want to stagnate. And that's material sense. And it would try to get you to stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it was Mrs. Eddie that said Eric can't hit a, a moving object anyway you keep moving and that's why even slowing down isn't good that's why we keep doing what we are doing uh keep moving keep learning keep demonstrating anybody else well certainly before coming here life seemed very stagnant and it felt like it was getting more and more static all the time and it is quite dynamic here so I appreciate that difference. Yeah, there's never a dull moment. <laughs> well, Mrs. Eddy says material objects are, uh, paraphrasing, are, are representative of divine ideas mm-hmm. when seen correctly. And it's our thought that needs to keep moving, isn't it? In other words, don't get stuck with the material appearance, but see the divine idea behind what is there, and that's a moving. That's a that's a moving thought. It's a progressive thought, a spiritually progressive thought, not not politically progressive, but spiritually progressive <laughs> thought. That sees the spiritual idea behind what the eyes see and what the ears hear. Yes, and that goes back to something Jacob wrote on the forum where he said, I started to understand that everything I can be aware of must be spirit and spiritual, even my elbow. So when I see people, I try to see spirit in manifestation, only the thoughts of God's heart to be seen, felt, touched, etc., and then he quotes signs and health from the infinite elements of the one mind emanate all form, color, quality, and quantity. And these are mental, both primarily and secondarily. I love that. You're not going to lose form, color, quality, and quantity. It's just seen, seen correctly. It, it loses the uh, earth weights, the materiality. As, as we progress in the science, it becomes more and more evident. But you have to take it on faith because the material senses tell you everything else. In his forum at the end, he says something like, well, I may be wrong. Well, Jacob, if you're listening, you're not wrong. You're right. <laughs> um, you're right. And, and he's gone through a long struggle to understand and see and experience this, as we all must. And sometimes it takes a prodigal experience. Where, where we try out the what the material senses tell us is good and find out that they're not. Carrie sent me an article on the prodigal son. It was called Individual Effort by F.E. Mason, who, this is 1888. He was around when Mrs. Eddy was around, and he wrote a lot of good things. Um, but 
says Adam was dissatisfied. He separated himself from God and hid himself in materiality, error. Did he better himself? What did the earth bring forth to him? Henceforth, nothing but thorns and thistles. God should have been his leader. But Adam hearkened to the tempter, and he fell. The prodigal son became dissatisfied with his ruler and separated himself from his father's house, where there was an abundance to spare. He departed into a far country and took a mental position. Menial. Oh, sorry, a menial position. He found nothing but swine and husks. After being bound to the rulers of that far country and compelled to submit to their demands, he came to himself and said, I will return to my father's house. Can we not gather some wheat from these illustrations? Can we not find some ray of light which will illumine the prison of our thought? Some words which serve as a ladder of escape. Adam and the prodigal both forsook their rightful rulers and they came to grief. Through thistles and thorns, Adam had to find his way back to God, from whom he willfully parted. From swine and husks, the prodigal had to lift himself into the realization that his father's house was his home. Truth, though hated and hindered by error, though crushed to earth, will rise again. God knew Adam's needs. God knew what was best for him. He knew more of life, more of truth, more of love than did the serpent unto whom Adam hearkened. Yet Adam preferred the serpent's voice and went the way of error. The father knew the prodigal son was safer and better cared for at home. Yet the prodigal was not satisfied and through famine and suffering was compelled to learn to appreciate the worth of his home. Perfect guide cannot lose his way. The traveler who is unfamiliar with the road is safer in the hands of a leader than when trusting his own resources. Have we not pursued the wrong way long enough? Let us thank God we have a guide. I don't know if any of us have been spared of that prodigal experience where we end up, all hell breaks loose, <laughs> we end up eating the husk. <laughs> And some of it, not not even, you know, deliberately or maliciously, a lot of it's ignorantly. Because we haven't known more of the science. I mean, we thought we were on the right track and we found out that we were not. And what what Florence read at the end, what humility, honesty, spirituality. Mm -hmm. Spirituality is the summit. Humility is the door door honesty is the way mm -hmm. spirituality the summit summit mm -hmm. those three qualities you know to throw yourself on on your knees before god and learn the way as craig read on pond and purpose on wednesday three forms of baptism that we we as scientists must go through. It's really this false, <laughs> it's this false view, the material view that gives us all our woes, really. It is definitely that. That's why to work to see it all spiritually, to lift our thought. Don't let our thoughts stagnate in that, in, in, in the mud there. As beautiful as it may seem, it's still it's still it's always mud. erroneous. <laughs> Who was speaking? Oh, it was Lenny. Um, I was just going to say, for me, I think sometimes that prodigal experience has helped me shake off the more attractive, I should say, lure of the material side. Because sometimes you have to. Well, sometimes that's the only way to see it for what it is, and realize that that the glamour that it holds doesn't really satisfy and then you return to your father's house and you so much more appreciative of what you had thank you yep. yes you become truly grateful 
instead of just a superficial or not even not grateful. Um, that's what would get me about the organizational Christian scientists, which I was one of, you know, whining about everything when things don't go your way. I'm a Christian scientist. Why is this happening to me? Kind of a obnoxious thing. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you have to, when you lose everything, you become very grateful for everything. I mean, even in your own experience, for instance, if whatever, you have a washing machine that doesn't work, suddenly you're really grateful for the washing machine <laughs> or, or whatever you lose temporarily. You become very, very grateful for. And we should remember all that God has given us. Goodness. Every morning our heart should be overwhelmed with gratitude and joy for our dear Father, Mother, God's loving kindness. Was it one of our calendar quotes, or did I read it somewhere else, where someone wrote, the definition of success is how high you rise after you've hit bottom. Yeah. <laughs> Great. That one. Jeremy, were you going to say something? Oh, I, I was just going to say that tinsel pleasures that he mentioned that, that felt like a really good way to talk about uh, what matter has to offer. So. <laughs> right. And, and you know, and we're almost trained to think that those tinsel pleasures are something really great, but they're not. This is something sweet, again, that um, Carrie said about treasures in heaven with little children speaking. It says, a lady once asked two little boys who were amusing themselves with some beautiful playthings. Well, boys, these are your treasures, I suppose, your greatest treasures. No, ma'am, said the elder boy. These are not our treasures. They are our playthings. Our treasures are in heaven. <laughs> a noble answer from a child. Oh, my congregation, let us treat gold and silver and precious stones as toys. And let us treat moral goodness, spiritual beauty, righteousness of heart, Christ-likeness, God-likeness, as our only treasures worthy the name. And then another by teacher. <laughs> Have a deposit on earth, if you must or can, but let your chief banking be in heaven. <laughs> and, you know, that was something we were taught here to build up that your banking in heaven um, because then you would have it stored for you in times that you need it. This whole lesson is wonderful and so good for right now about putting your, where do you put your trust in God or in mammon? I wanted to mention too, because I know how many of you were praying so earnestly about the storm that came up the coast. Um, and I, I know some of these pictures and everything were pretty awful, and our hearts go out, continuing in prayer, always praying. But I did get a wonderful report um, from someone who, well, her mother is uh, took over the Helen Wright website, an independent website. I don't remember the name of it. MBEinstitute.org. Okay. All right. Well, and she happens to live in Fort Myers. And one of our members is a is a, a good friend of hers and goes and visits her occasionally of this woman. And anyway, he was concerned how she was doing. So and the daughter has been following us and giving testimonies quite often, actually. So we were able to get in touch with her and her mother did not leave. And and she's perfectly fine. Her house is fine. They didn't even lose power. And this is in Fort Myers, which, which was hit directly, which was hit directly. But she's a working Christian scientist. And I'm sure there are many, many other examples of it. Maybe her daughter will give a testimony about it anyway. She and she said her, the daughter's leaving tomorrow, Monday, to go visit her. So I guess the airports are open and everything else. But your prayers are never in vain. And I know Elizabeth, who had a, she no longer has it, but had property on the South Carolina coast. And 
at least twice it was spared damage. Is she on? Yes. Yeah. So, so when you're working in the truth of your ability, God, God's a great and mighty protection against any storm, against whose all power. <laughs> no tempest shall prevail. Thank you. No shall prevail. A beautiful hymn, 172, which is one Nancy told us about to work with. It's wonderful. What were you going to say uh, on the forum about the prodigal son while we're there visiting him? Oh, yeah. It just, I got thinking about how important it is that, you know, I'll, I'll just say for me, people who have chose differently in life, sometimes I've really been kind of judgmental about it. <laughs> so, and it just got me thinking that's what the brother was doing, you know, even though he chose what was quote right when the brother came back he didn't have that sense of mercy and compassion for him so i just thought it was really important to make sure that i am looking out that way and making sure that you know when people come here that it's you know with an open heart so thank you much yeah this judgmental wherever people are whatever they're doing um you know, they're working out their own salvation. Maybe that they are eating the husks at the moment. They'll learn whatever it is they need to learn. And we mustn't judge them or be judgmental. We just remember, put a finger on our lips and remember what we have been through. You know, who are we to say judge anyone? So, and Florence? No, Jesus didn't, so we can't. Jesus didn't, and he is our example. A great the, example. And in the parable, the father didn't. No. Mm -hmm. No, and sometimes it is the one who hasn't had the experiences and knocked around a lot that can be the most self-righteous and judgmental. But their day will probably come. <laughs> and all of us, if we don't uh, give up the, the false landmarks, as Mrs. Eddy says. That's why it is a good thing. They have a, to get knocked around a few times in life. It's not something to be avoided or ashamed of. Or ashamed of. Even uh, St. Paul said, I rejoice in tribulation. That may sound a little strange to someone who hasn't been through a lot of tribulation. But if you've been through a lot of tribulation, you realize it's the tribulation that forces you closer to God, which is where heaven is. When we come out of things like, <clears throat> like that, you see things entirely differently. You do. It's like mm -hmm. a whole new life. It is. It is. It's a you're putting off that old man for the new and everything becomes new. And even the former experiences that seem so dreadful, eventually you will see you won't even have the smell of smoke. Yeah, I have thought that before. You know, it was very hard going through life before coming here, but that's only because I didn't know there was like a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> Looking back, I thought, well, I could have put up with more if I knew this was coming. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't need to. Yeah, I'm grateful I didn't. But <laughs> yeah, most certainly. Well, and that's why we demand the blessing when we're going through deep, dark times. Demand the blessing. But not in a whiny way. Yeah. But in a way of knowing that you are a child of the, the king and all good is yours. But not like I just mentioned earlier, you yeah. know, whining and why is this happening to me and why, why aren't I better yesterday? Mm -hmm. And progress is born of experience. There's value. There's, there's a lesson in every experience we have. And if we get the lesson from every experience we have, we'll be of use in this world. And trials are proofs of God's care, right? 
Thank yes, you. Yeah. Are. This is it. And God restores the years that the locust have eaten. Anything you think you've lost, or it'll be restored in one way or another, because that's the kind of God that we have. Um. So, and and one one major thing, because I I still hear it occasionally. You you don't ever ever blame God for your misfortunes. That is a trap of the devil. You think God did it to you in any way, or why didn't God answer your prayer? Or somehow God gets to be the bad guy in the middle of this mess. That's just what Era wants, because if you turn on God, what hope do you have? It is never, ever have anything to do with God. It is always a lack of God. Don't ever forget that. And I don't care if you think, because I know I did. I was doing the best I could. How could have this happened? Well, you could have done better, Mary. All right? It is, has nothing ever. Do not turn on God. Ever. That leaves you with a boat without a paddle. You must never. And Arrow's just laughing at you. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, where is your God? See, he deserted you. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Well, you say the hell you say. <laughs> never deserted me. He was with me through this. Even as horrible as it might have been, he was there with me. And he brought me through. And here I stand, so help me God. A better person a for better it. A better person for it. It was, never had anything to do with God. It was a lack of God in that situation. You might not have known that at the time, but it was. There needed to be more God. If there had been, that would have been good. But there wasn't, so you learned. These things only come to bless. This is Eddie said. When they cease to bless, they will cease to occur. Yeah. And this is not, yeah. And this is you know, this is important because this concept of blaming God is built into our legal system in this country. Yeah. There are millions of contracts between people and companies where tornadoes, storms are considered, quote, acts of God outside of anybody's control. It's written in the documents. So, you know, this is this are definitely things you're just trained to, to think and believe. And it, it takes a little while to untrain yourself, so to speak, <laughs> get reeducated to the truth. And so we must. Um, now, a lot of this, there's so much in this lesson every week. I tell you, it's just so much. Um, this is the idea of supply and money. You know, we, we don't put our trust in that. In matter, we do not put our trust in matter. It's always in God. But then, if need be, God supplies you with what you need to do his purpose. And this is a very important part in science and health. I just want to mention numbers, number 13. If we understood the control of mind over body, we should put no faith in material means. Whatever teaches man to have other laws and to acknowledge other powers than the divine mind is anti-Christian. The good that a poisonous drug seems to do is evil. Why? For it robs man of reliance on God, omnipotent mind, and, according to belief, poisons the human system. This to me, this is the answer about all this vaccine stuff and everything like that. We have, we are not into drugs, period, right? Why? Why? Because she says you put your faith in that rather than in God. She claims it's, and rightfully so, it's anti-Christian. That is why, and that's where we stand, no matter what you want to call it. Now, however... Because of all these mandates and other things, if you felt you had to take the vaccine, then, or any drug for that matter, then you defang its 
the fang, it's, quote, poisonous mm -hmm. results. And you can do that because why? Because there's no other power other than God. You know, through, through these whole, this whole past few years, I've grown immeasurably in so many ways. Things I didn't think about or challenge was right in my face. I had to think about it and challenge it. So there's, in Christian science, there's something for everyone. Okay. If you don't want to, don't want, of course, we none of us want to go to doctors or take drugs as Christian scientists. But if you have to, there's a way to do it well, okay, and not not be damaged by it, shall we say? But have a positive experience, even. Why not? God's angels are everywhere. Can I ask a question? Sure. Um, when I was uh, raising my children, I had my children. Um, I was able to um, not have my children immunized. I, I never had my children um, because of the form and from the Boston Church. And of course, now I, <laughs> I wouldn't. But what do what can parents do today that are no longer uh, organization members to to keep their children to not have their children immunized? If it's, is that still possible to even do that anymore? Sure. What? Is it? Because I, I know it, you, we couldn't go to school. The children couldn't go to school without this paperwork that said that out of religious concerns, you know, I, I didn't have to have my children immunized. But I don't know if that even exists today anymore. Well, you know, yeah, we used to have this um, exemption form. Once we became independent, I, you know, we didn't, we didn't use it. And I, it's it's a much more. Gary says sure, but he's well, not a parent the, at the moment. The, it depends. I mean, there are uh, there are school districts. There are companies that that have their own religious exemption form. Mm. <laughs> so if you've got children in school and you don't want them to get it, you know, to get a shot ask the uh, principal of the school for a religious exemption form. Yeah, I think that might be the state form now or something, because after we left the Boston movement, they tried to have our daughter vaccinated for college. And I mean, we didn't, the, I, in fact, I don't even think the COP from the original church was even giving those out anymore. You just got them from the state, if your state still allows for it. Oh, okay. Lauren, do you want to speak to it? Yeah, I used that once to to travel. They they were requiring a certain um, vaccine immunizations, and uh, I got a exemption um, letter, religious exemption letter. Yeah, I think if you inquire and want to, um, I know it is a lot more difficult. Materia Medica has risen to great heights right now, and uh, again, there's something called repaid pages. It's in footsteps. This is the Red Book, I guess. Yeah, red, book. red Book. She talks about this. And when her granddaughter, they were asked about having a uh, vaccination and it was required, she said, go ahead and do it. Because the the animal magnetism, it's, this is in repaid pages, against, you know, the beliefs against if you don't do it are much greater than if you just go ahead and do it. You bow your head in humility and, again, defang it. No, it can't hurt. It can't harm. If it's a law, you do it. We obey the laws of the land. Unfortunately, that's where we are at right now. We should have been progressed past this probably, but we're not. So we, you do the best you can under the circumstance. You can get out of it, as was just said, by these exemption forms. Fine. If you can't. Or if, if you have, you know, sometimes parents, oh, my gosh, they won't even want your child to play with their children if you don't have these vaccinations. So you, you do the best that you can and, and make as little of it as possible, okay? Don't yeah. turn it into a big deal. I don't think that's wise. So yeah, he, he addresses that in uh, miscellaneous. I can't remember what page, but she does. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that a lot of these things are in our liberator from 
from that time when we were having to deal with vaccinations. We have a lot of really good articles on that. Florence wrote a really good one quoting Mrs. Eddy from Miss Eleni, where she says that you do the best you can. Right now, it's gotten it's a much different thing than it was when our children were young. I did not send my kids to the doctors. They were not vaccinated. I, when I was with child, I didn't even go to the doctors till I was in my eighth month. It was a whole different ball game than it is now. So, so the September 2021 issue of the Liberator is only good as contagious. Thank you. Okay. I just want to say when I was a kid, we were, we were Christian. We weren't Christian scientists and we moved a lot. And every single school always made me get, you know, whatever, hope for something. But it just seemed like it, it wasn't made a big deal of by my parents at all. So, and I didn't think anything of it other than it was just, you know, like the barrier to entry and whatever. So right. we do it. So, and I, and after getting it, never thought of it again. No, no, I remember too. I, well, we were not Christian scientists when I was a child. I remember getting what shots in school, even, you know, all kinds of things. Never thought much of it. It pricked a little bit and then you just forgot about it. So, um, we don't like to go there for just what I quoted, and it's in this lesson quite a bit. Uh, but no, you don't put your faith in that. It's in, always in God. God is the healer. Now, I wanted to switch gears. Um, there's a lot in this about supply and money. Um, Mrs. In this lesson, Mrs. Wilcox in her book, there's a two-page article called Money that's a good one. And she says, when correctly understood, money is one of mine's divine ideas. Incorrectly considered, money is a false human concept of a divine idea. In actuality, money is a very high idea in its expression of substance. Hence, in our human expression of substance, the desire to have money seems greater than perhaps all other desires. So, the quote from the Bible says it's the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, but the love of it. And that is, of course, making a God out of it. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read now a few things on this subject that Christian scientists need to heed. And it's in Precepts 1. No matter how affluent the demonstration of an individual Christian scientist may be, here we go, if he stagnates, in a selfish and self-centered satisfaction, he is not much better off than as if he had never begun his spiritual journey, since he experiences the same mortal destiny as the rest of humanity. We have seen so many in the organization everywhere who have science, people in science were known to become wealthy at one point. And then what happened? They stagnated in it. If several groups of people start for the North Pole, those who get within a few hundred miles of the goal are not much better off than those who never started. Our goal, remember, the summit is spirituality. It's not money. It's not wealth. It's not a big house and all this other stuff. All right, and then this, talking about Mrs. Eddy. She constantly heard the cry of the poor, the sick, the unhappy, the sinner. And out of the wealth and overflow of her demonstration, she ceaselessly fed them as Joseph, when he was the custodian of the grain, which he had gathered during the seven years of plenty in Egypt, fed the nations who were starving during the seven years of famine. This was the reason for Mrs. Eddy's growth. Students today do not grow faster because out of their abundance of spiritual good, they do not realize that much of what has been given them was for the purpose of sharing, not withholding. Lack of giving will stellify growth. Work done for God's children without hope of material reward is more surely paid for than anything else one might do. Therefore, no one can lose by giving more time to help humanity. 
And then, if one works for humanity, he establishes a demonstration. A demo, he da, establishes a demonstration thought towards the world that inevitably, inevitably brings him his reward, as well as fits him to handle the universal claim of animal magnetism directed against him. One of the greatest protections against the unknown, the unseen, the unexpected, is the work to bless humanity. Because one cannot bless humanity without handling the error that comes to humanity. And the handling of such error is one's own life insurance. In working for all humanity, you must handle its animal magnetism. This is the Christian scientist's life insurance, since one cannot be handled by that which he is already handling. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is one of the benefits. It's not why we do it, but it's one of the benefits of the watches. We're staying ahead of the game. We're handling what we see coming down the pike and doing the best we can with it. And then... There is no real sacrifice in giving up any part of this human dream in order to further the cause that has for its purpose the freeing of mankind from the bondage of falsity and mortality. In the student's early experience, he gives money because he does not have anything greater value in his estimation to give. This represents the greatest self-sacrifice possible and gauges his interest in the work. After he has learned the tremendous effectiveness of scientific mental work, however, he realizes that he can give the greater gift of metaphysical argument and declaration. Therefore, the latter sacrifice becomes whatever work of this nature he can do. A greater sacrifice than money is always a sacrifice of thinking, doing, giving up that which he would naturally want to think and do for the sake of demonstration, demonstrating freedom for humanity. This sacrifice is not so much the sacrifice of time and money as it is of ease. He must recognize the importance of keeping awake to the obligation of mental work. A thousand and one distractions creep in. Unless one organizes his time and mind so that he will do the work in spite of interference. Every Christian scientist should orient his whole life so that he will be sure each day to give what he considers to be a right quota of thought and time to this unselfish service. This is the life of a Christian scientist. This was written many, many years ago. This is not my personal human opinion, although I 100% agree with it. But these books that were forbidden well, you know how I feel about it. And anyway, these books kept me from going crazy at times, especially the Carpenter books. All right. That has to do with a bit of money, as scientists would think of it. And when we are working, doing this unselfish work for God, as Mrs. Eddy did, it will come in abundance, but only, all right, I won't say it will, it may, it may be, but if, but whatever it is, it's to give back, to give. And if you don't, you stagnate as we started off. All right, Linda, I wanted to just go in briefly to what you had to say on the forum. I uh, was referencing the Isaiah 26, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And I came across a Spurgeon quote. Do you want me to read it? It's beautiful, yes. Okay, this uh, was from 18, uh, oh, I don't see it on here now, but it's uh, Spurgeon. Quote, this is no dry didactic statement, but a verse from a song. We are among the poets of Revelation who made sonnets for the people of God to sing. Our text tells us how securely this strong city will be held so securely that none of her citizens shall ever be disturbed in heart. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, 
because he trusteth, trusteth in thee. Permit me to remind you again that my text is the verse of a song. I earnestly desire you to feel like singing all the time while I am preaching. And let the words of the text ring in your heart with deep, mysterious chimes, as of a land beyond these clouds and tempests. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. I do not want you to be thinking, I wish that the Lord would keep me in peace. I would have you now enter into rest before the Lord. Do not say I am fretting and worrying because I cannot reach this peace, but pray to enjoy it this morning. O Lord and giver of peace, vouchsafe in our faith at once. O ye trustful ones, enter at once into the open gates of the city of peace, and then bless God that you cannot be driven out again. For the Lord promises to be your garrison and safeguard. May the Holy Spirit, who is the comforter and whose fruit is peace, now work peace in each of us. End quote. Thank you. 1885. That's what it was. That's a beautiful thought. We don't have to be, you know, worried or we don't have peace. We can't have peace. You keep your mind stayed on God. It's because you don't keep your mind stayed on God that you don't have peace. So you have to focus. Remember that word. Focus on that. Focus on the enduring, the good, and the true. It's most important. I love that he made it a song, and they purposely made it a song for the people to sing in their heart, and so that you could sing it. In your yes, yes, that's it. Singing all these these beautiful truths. Keep it in your heart and sing it. Helps to keep it there. And this was something beautiful again from Carrie. It, of getting in tune, which is similar. One night I went early to an or orchestral concert, and as I sat waiting, the members of the orchestra filed in and began to tune their instruments all at the same time. The result was most discordant, and if I had not known the meaning of it all, I should have run away. But knowing what was to come, I patiently awaited the beautiful music which they were about to make. And as I waited, there came the thought, is not all this typical of the condition we are in this hour of growth? These men tuning their different instruments seem to be working in hopeless confusion, but they are not. For each one has in mind the one keynote which his instrument must be in harmony. To this end, he must give individual attention, not listen to his neighbor's tuning and so imperil the accuracy of his own, but must keep in the chambers of thought that one steady tone. His business for the moment is that, and only that. Faithful to that seemingly small duty, he will be ready when the moment arrives to take part in the symphony of sound, whose perfectness depends upon the quality of each and all contributions. Hmm. So remember that. Sometimes it does look like everything's so holy mess, but <laughs> we're all tuning, tuning our instruments one way or the next, and it will eventually... For the collective harmony. Huh? Yes, come to collective harmony. And then we're going to end on a, a beautiful article. I believe it was Jacob that sent it to me a long time ago on confidence, and confidence having to do with faith. Um, and faith is to believe, to obey, to obey what God has revealed, simple belief in the scriptures, we must all have it. So go ahead, Gary. This is by Martha Harris Bode from the 1903 Journal. Confidence is a quality of mind, a quality of God. Since confidence is God-given, the statement, I lack confidence, is false. The person who is declaring the lack of confidence to succeed is very confident of his ability to fail. Jesus said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We are to work out our salvation, deliverance from the belief of power in evil, with fear and with trembling. 
not wait until we get out of fear and the trembling has stopped before we attempt to overcome. Is it his pleasure, his will, that we should fail in that which he has bidden us to do, resist the devil? Is it his will that we should make mistakes? Of course not. We are to take up the cross daily, take up whatever is opposed to God that crosses our path, not as something, but as nothing, and put it out of the way. Fear is faith in evil. Courage is faith in God. Doubt is trust in evil. Confidence rightly directed is trust in God, good. When we are afraid, we can ask ourselves, where is my faith? What am I trusting in, good or evil, spirit or matter? If we fail, it is because our faith is in the wrong thing. When a very young student, I was called to see a woman who had not stood on her feet or sat in a chair for over 10 years. Medical science had entirely failed. My teacher had given my name to the invalid's family, and I felt that obedience demanded that I should go. I surely went with fear and trembling. All the way, I studied science and health. And all the time, personal sense argued that someone else should have been sent. That if I should fail, the cause of Christian science would suffer. Until I almost wished I could take the train back and send an older <laughs> practitioner. <clears throat> then the consciousness came that those in need had not sent for me. They had sent for Christian science. I saw that all was trembling and fearing had no part in it, could neither hinder nor help. That revealed truth was to do the work, and it was competent. That I did have confidence in God, and these words came, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. My confidence in God's ability, in the power of the word, began at once to take the place of confidence in my own ability to fail. <laughs> I left self-reliance behind, and with God-reliance went to the woman. I was able to remain only about four hours. But before I left the patient, she walked across the room and sat in a chair. The next morning, she was dressed and went to her breakfast with the family. She has been a well woman ever since. In this, I learned that I must never let fear and trembling keep me from taking the step before me. We do not need confidence in our own ability but we do need confidence in God's ability and willingness to work in us, to give us dominion over all the earth. And we must have the willingness to take the steps and prove to ourselves and others that God is omnipotent. Amen. <laughs> yeah. right. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.